Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Well, welcome to the show today, everybody. I am so excited to have you here. Again, my name is Tim Sawhook, and I would like to welcome you to the first ever premiere episode of the Unwritten Life podcast. This is some exciting stuff going on. So let's talk a little bit about what is the Unwritten Life podcast? What's it all about? This podcast has been laid upon my heart um, for the past half year or so, and I feel that God has given me a gift to communicate with people and to share my story and to pour into other people and give them hope and encouragement. And I get an opportunity to do that on a weekly basis with people, but I really wanted another platform, another platform where one, I could share my story initially, and two, I could get other people on the show who have amazing stories that can share that same hope and encouragement with others. The whole podcast is called Unwritten Life because your story is unwritten. Anything can happen in your life, no matter from your deepest pain leading to your biggest gain. Your story is unwritten. Many things can happen. You can show optimism and hope for others, and you can live a better life. Um, we often talk about pain and that you weren't put on the earth just to suffer. You were put here to go through certain things, but to share those with other people and gain strength from that and show that strength to other people. That's what this podcast is all about. So if you like what you've heard and you want to be encouraged and you need some hope, Stay tuned. We have an amazing season coming up of really strong, powerful people who are really going to blow you away with their strength and with their message. But to show you why I am in this space, where do I have any credibility in the unwritten life? So I want to start a little bit about my story. This podcast is about me, all about me today. But going forward, it will be about others, I promise. So where does it all start? Let's go back in time to younger Tim. This is the back in time sound. All right, we're back in time. Growing up, I was the middle child of seven kids. I was raised in a loving home with both my mom and dad. Uh, my dad is a pastor still to this day. My mom was always a stay-at-home mom and raised us, as you could probably imagine what it was like to raise seven kids. It's crazy. Um, my parents are still alive, still together. I grew up in a home with no drug abuse, no abuse of any kind, um, no alcoholism, anything like that. You know, is it crazy to be in a family of seven kids? Yes. Being the middle child, do you see why I have my own podcast? I just need to talk and be heard. Just kidding. Um, our family, I have great brothers and sisters. Um, and it, it was crazy growing up. We got a crazy sawhook clan when we get together, and uh, we have a good time. But childhood was good. You know, I didn't have a lot of trouble. I was in shape, um, didn't really get into any trouble so much. Where my story starts to evolve is a little bit after high school. A little bit after high school, I started to deal with depression. And I really didn't know it was depression at the time. I knew I was dealing with something. Things weren't really going so right. Um, I wasn't feeling great all the time. And I started gaining a lot of weight after high school. In high school, now I wasn't like an amazing athlete where I played on every team or anything, but I was always in shape. I was always playing sports with our family, friends, a lot of basketball, a lot of pretty much anything we can get our hands on for sports. And so 
me starting to gain weight was kind of a big deal. People could see it, and I could see it, and I really just didn't know how to stop it or what was happening. Um, and it wasn't really something I dealt with. I didn't, like I said, I don't really know that I was dealing with depression at the time. I just didn't know what it was. Um, fast forward just a couple years later, in 1998, at the age of 23, I got married to my wife, Leslie, and it was a great wedding. At that point, um, I had gained a considerable amount of weight. When we got married, I was probably at least 250 pounds. Now, you got to think in high school, I was probably maybe 175, 180. So this is a big weight gain. Um, and she accepted me for who I was. didn't really matter that I was overweight. It's just the fact that, you know, we were together, we were in love, and, you know, we were starting a great uh, life together. Um, but yet, I was still starting to struggle a little bit more with depression and feeling that a little bit more. Again, at that point, it still wasn't identified in my life to me what that was. So in 2001, we had our first child, my son, Luke, who at the time of this recording is going to be 17 years old tomorrow, which blows my mind away. And then in 2003, we had another child, my daughter, Lauren, who is now 14 years old. Both my kids, I love them to death. They are the lights of my life, and I'm so thankful for them. Um, but in that time frame, I was working at a company, and I had lost my job. And at that point of the loss of my job, you know, I still had rapidly be, been gaining weight during that time frame, um, and yet still not identifying that I had depression. And um, identifying why I was feeling what I was feeling and what was going on in my life at that point. So the loss of a job really took a hit to my self-esteem. Um, and it really made me start to split into two different people. There was the regular Tim. And the regular Tim to anybody else is the fun guy. I am the guy who I'm ready to be in any joke, any story, a part of any group, any party. And I, I love to make people laugh. I love to make people laugh. And I just love to have a good time. I was smiling on the outside. And people got to depend on that. And I got to depend on that. I was depending on being that person for me to be able to get through all the things that I was going through. So when I lost my job at that time frame, I became a stay-at-home dad with my two kids. My daughter was just a baby. She had just been born. My son was just a couple years old at that point. And um, just with financial things and taking the kids to daycares and putting them in childcare. It was, just seemed like it was the best thing for us at that point. And I um, started to get more depressed. And when I talked about, I split into two different Tims. The regular outgoing Tim was always the guy who was going to have the easy way out and have the fun part. Anytime I started feeling anything, feeling really bad, I would put it on the other Tim. And I could put it on the other Tim, and I could move on with my outward appearance towards others while still having this inner struggle and then putting it off on the other Tim. So things during that time frame, I was home with the kids, um, and I'm a huge extrovert. I need to be around people um, to gain that energy from them and to be able to talk with people and stuff. And I really, being home with the kids, even though I loved it, and actually now if you ask me what was the, my biggest accomplishment I've ever done, it was being a stay-at-home dad. Um, it was amazing to be able to be with the two kids and raise them and do the fun things with them. Not many dads get that opportunity. A lot of moms do, and some moms don't. Um, but 
really, that was, I feel like one of my greatest accomplishments was being a stay-at-home dad. It was a true joy. Um, we get to do so many fun things together. And I really was able to bond with them early on and show them that I loved them, show them I was their dad, and that even though I was overweight and was flawed, I was still their dad and I still loved them regardless. But in that time frame, I had started getting more depressed and anxious. So I'd gone from being depressed and then I felt this crushing anxiety start to set in. It was an anxiety that, you know, normal people have anxieties on a daily basis that are normal anxieties. Um, let's say a financial stress comes upon your family. You feel that anxiety, that crunch. That's a normal thing. Maybe there's a loss in the family. You have that anxiety of the loss. That's a normal kind of anxiety. Um, the anxiety that I was dealing with was one that had no relevance in reality. Um, I'm a huge New York Yankees baseball fan. And for instance, if the Yankees would lose a game, that crushing anxiety would hit me and I couldn't breathe. It would be horrible. And it, was, it had nothing to do with the Yankees losing. It's just a baseball game. But I couldn't let that go. The anxiety would set in. I remember driving down the street, going by neighbors, and seeing them walking into their house smiling and being so jealous. Think, I would wish I could smile and feel that happy. Why are they so happy? Why am I not feeling this? And I remember there were days when I would go to bed at night with such anxiety um, and that clenching feeling in your chest and your stomach. And I'd wake up the next morning and I'd think, Oh my God, the anxiety is gone. And as soon as I would have that thought, it was like, snap, there it's back. I didn't go anywhere. I was just waiting for you to think about it. Now here I am again. Um, and so I started to talk to my wife about it because for a long time, and I think a lot of people who are listening to this, who's gone through something like this or is going through someone with this or has a spouse going through something with this, I want you to know about this. Most of the time when you're going through it, you talk it over in your head a thousand times before you ever relay it to anybody. And what I want to say is talk to people. Try to talk to people. I know it's an isolating feeling and you kind of feel alone, even though you are surrounded by your wife and beautiful kids and a loving family, you still may feel alone. Try to reach out to people. And if you're a spouse of somebody or a family member or a friend, look for signs of people. Um, some of the signs could be you know, a change of personality maybe a change in appetite, being being withdrawn a little bit. Um, be observant of the people around you. Ask questions. Talk to people. Ask them how they're doing. When's the last time they felt joy about something? Um, I know it's not something you just walk up to, hey, Joe, when's the last time you felt joy? Maybe that's not a conversation you're going to have at work. But really, don't be scared to have that conversation. So I would, I would just, if anyone's listening and is going through that or is in kind of that space right now, try to talk to people. They, they need someone to ask them how they're doing. Um, but getting back to the story, I finally had reached out to Leslie and let her know, listen, I mean, she could obviously see the weight gain. She could obviously tell that there was maybe some sort of depression going on because we really hadn't talked about it much. And that wasn't necessarily because she didn't want to talk about it. It's just I wasn't really talking about it. And it goes back to the two Tims. I had two different personalities. So maybe she didn't see the Tim that was getting soul crushed and really just screaming on the inside with nobody to hear him. She was hearing the other guy, the guy who was the happy guy on the outside. And I let her know, like, listen, I'm, I, I can't breathe sometimes. The anxiety is too bad, too horrible. And she was like, well, we need to get you to a doctor. And so we did. I went to a general practitioner, and I walked in. And I remember sitting in the office, and she asked why well, I was there, and I almost couldn't say it. I almost couldn't say that I needed that help. 
So when I finally spit it all out real fast and probably was really confusing and didn't make sense, she was like, oh, no problem. I probably have five to seven people a week who come in here have the same symptoms. You know, we can give you a little medicine for the anxiety. It will really take the edge off, make you feel good. And I was like, oh, all right. I'm normal, right? So if five to seven people are coming in here, I'm trying to do the math, then I'm not the only person who feels different and feels crazy and feels kind of isolated. So it gave me a little bit of hope. It really did. But here's the thing. General practitioners are great doctors, but they don't practice in the medicine of mental health. They practice overall medicine, and they're doing their best to help. But a lot of times, they really just band-aid the situation, and sometimes it can make it worse. And let me explain what that means. So what they will do is they'll give you a medicine, a uh, anti-anxiety, antidepressant medicine. And the thing you need to know about that is, yeah, here you are, you're coming into the point where you've already had the conversation a thousand times in your head, and then you finally reach out to your spouse, friend, or family that you need to help. Then you get to the doctor, and you finally tell them, and they say, okay, here's this pill. You'll probably feel something in two to three weeks. And you're thinking, two to three weeks? Dude, I, I, I could barely breathe to get in here today. The Yankees lost, and I about passed out last night. Um, I need some help. But not to make light of it, it's a tough situation when you're dealing with these medications. Um, and they come with side effects. And yippee for me, one of my side effects was weight gain. So here I am already a big dude, and I mean big, already creeping over 300 pounds, and I get this medicine that's supposed to help me mentally, and guess what? It makes me gain more weight. How does that make me feel mentally? Horrible. So it's just a bad spiral. And you have to wait for that medicine to kick in. Sometimes it does, and you feel a little bit of relief. Sometimes it doesn't, and you have to go back to the drawing board again. Um, for me, I think I did feel some relief initially, and I don't know if it was like a placebo effect, like here's a pill. Take the pill. You will feel better. Mentally, you will feel better, and I, I, I think I did, and I remember talking to my wife about it that I felt a little bit better, but things outside of that, getting that medicine, have started to get worse. Depression was not really going away. And some of the side effects from these medicines can be suicidal thoughts. And I knew that going in. And I figured I'd have no problem with that. Um, why would I ever have suicidal thoughts? But it got to a breaking point where all my internal struggle could no longer go off into this other Tim. That other Tim was depressed too, and he needed medication. And I finally had to deal with it. And I remember a couple years prior to this, and I remember thinking this very vividly. There was a guy on television, and he was talking about people who had gained a lot of weight. And I remember, you know, tuning in, listening, and hearing what he was saying. And he said, listen, when people gain a lot of weight, it's not about eating food. It's not about weight gain. It's always about the thing behind the thing. And once you lose the weight, if you haven't dealt with that, you're going to still have to deal with that thing to make yourself healthy. And I remember thinking then, oh, my God, what if I lose weight and I still have to deal with my thing? What is my thing? See, at that point, I hadn't identified that I had depression. I just knew there was probably something, and I was scared to find out what that was. What was my thing? And now fast forward a couple years later, I'm taking these medications, 
you better believe I found out what my thing was. I was at a hardcore rock bottom depression. I was to the point where I was in my basement and I would not want to leave. Um, I mentioned a few minutes ago about screaming on the inside. When you have depression, anxiety, and things of that nature, any kind of mental health illness, it is such a isolating, dark, lonely feeling because your mind's not functioning properly and you don't know how to address the feelings you're going through. You don't know how to ask for that help. You don't know what help looks like. And so for me, I had hit a dark, dark, dark place. Um, I basically felt hopeless. I felt so alone, broken, and just done. I didn't want to feel like this anymore. Why would you? You're surrounded by your loving wife and kids and family. Um, I'm a Christian. I believe in God for giving me strength. But even then, I couldn't tap into it. I couldn't see it. And I wanted to kill myself. And I started to develop a plan to do that. What it looked like for me was I live in a community where I could drive by a lake on multiple occasions going to and from many activities in the community. And I always thought about what if I just drove off the road into the lake and just ended it all? I would feel better. My family would be better without me. I mean, to me at that point, I felt like I was just a fat guy who had very little value, didn't know where to turn or what to do, and um, just recalling it right now, I can just feel that same darkness, and it it's so it's soul crushing. It's it's horrible. It was a horrible feeling, but. Thankfully, out of God's grace, I have a sister-in-law who is a psychologist, therapist, and even though I don't recall it fully, I have my wife to give me some of these details, I called my sister-in-law on the side of the road in the car saying I was going to kill myself. I was getting ready to drive off the road. And this was my cry for help. And that I couldn't I couldn't do it anymore. I, I didn't know what to do. And um, like I said, I couldn't help myself at that time. If it wasn't for God's grace and intervention, I may have ended up in that lake. And that's so scary to say now. But taking the opportunity to deal with that pain, right now, this moment, I hope it helps somebody to know that there is hope out there and that you, you can come through it. Um, but it, it was just such a bad point that I didn't feel like I had a way out. So my sister-in-law obviously talked me off the ledge, got to a point where she knew I was safe, and then contacted my wife. At, at that point, my wife had no choice but to get me help 
and seek hospitalization. And when I say hospitalization, I don't mean going to the ER. Um, I was admitted to a psychiatric wing of a hospital, and um, and I remember it to a certain point. Um, I remember being now so out of it that it didn't seem weird. It didn't seem scary. I was just broken down to a shell of a human. Um, you could have just pulled my hand one way or another and said, we need to go here. And I would just blindly like a zombie follow along because I couldn't do anything for myself anymore at that point. You know what? I want you to realize getting into a psychiatric hospital or mental ward or whatever you want to call it, it's not like something you see in the movies. It's not like people are all hours of the night screaming in their rooms or somebody's like chained down to a table or anything like that. You have a bunch of loving and caring people in there who are just trying to help you get through it. And there is a lot of medicine checks. There's a lot of therapy. There is a lot of art, a lot of art. And I am horrible at art, so I couldn't imagine that was great for my self-esteem failing over and over again at art projects. But um, um, I remember them stripping me down off all my medication. And, and that's the scary part again. So you come in as a broken person, a shell of a person, and then they strip you down off all your medication. And it's like, here we are, ground zero. We're going to start with this medication. And we hope within two to three weeks, you're going to be feeling better. Um, so I don't remember what they put me on initially, what kind of medication it was. They started me on there for a while. And again, I wasn't in there that long. I might have been in there for a week or so. But I ended up talking my way out of the hospital. Um, I don't suggest this for anybody, especially if you have a spouse because they may kill you for doing this. Um, and I don't mean to make light of it either, but I was able to talk my way out that I was feeling better. I just needed to get out of there. I wanted to get home. Um, and I did. So I got home. I'm on this new medication. It's failing miserably. Um, I was home for only two weeks at this time and I was having horrible hallucinations due to the medications in the hospital. It was a very, very scary time. Um, I remember driving and calling my wife, crying and screaming that there was someone in the back seat, and they wanted to kill me. And it, and it sounds crazy saying these things out loud, but that's what was going on. That's the state of mind I was in from these medications and just not being healthy mentally. Um, so my sister actually had to take me to the hospital because my wife, Leslie, was home with the two young kids and trying to, you know, shelter them from all of this. And so it was back at it again, back to the hospital, waiting, being admitted to the psychiatric hospital again, and being back in there. And the second time I was back in there, I was happy to be in there because I felt like everyone else was in the same boat. And I wasn't like happy inside, I was just, that felt normal to me, even though that should not feel normal to anybody. Um, and I was comfortable with it this time, and I knew this time I actually had to do some work. 
um, trying to deal with things and actually use the therapy and the art, so much art, um, to get through it and to try to put myself in a healthier place to come home. And at this point, what I want you to realize is my wife's role was this. Her goal wasn't just to like, hey, he's struggling. I'm just going to drop him off the curb at the hospital and good luck. Her role at this point was to give me the help that I needed, but to also protect our kids. She wanted them to have a good understanding of who their dad was, um, not in the mind state that I was. So she protected them a lot from it. And her goal was to give them a now like a normal childhood so they didn't see what was going on. And she was pretty successful at it. And she was really able to guard them from it to the point right now they don't remember anything. I mean, they only remember what we tell them or we discuss. So it's good to know that they weren't really scarred that way. And I really appreciate her for doing that because um, I wouldn't want my relationship with my kids any different today based upon something that happened to me in the past um, when I just wasn't myself and I couldn't be myself and I couldn't be the dad or the husband or the friend or the son for anybody else. I couldn't just be the person for me. I couldn't show up at that point. And um, I appreciate her doing that at that point. I just wanted to kind of let you know that it's good if you have someone in your life, spouse, friend, family, who can be there for you to kind of help you and maybe guard you from other people. Because people, when it comes to mental illness, there's one to two different camps. There's either there's the camp that understands you, supports you, wants to know about it, and then there's the camp who's not talking about it. Um, mental illness is a scary thing to other people. But think how scary it is to the families going through it, not just the person, but the families involved. So I'm, I'm telling you now, I'm giving you the permission, ask people what's going on. If you find out that so-and-so's husband was put in the psychiatric ward, do not shut it down. Do not say, uh-oh, I'm not bringing that up. Too awkward. How awkward do you think it is for the family going through it? They already feel isolated. They already feel alone. Don't make them feel more alone. Okay, find the right language just to ask, how are you? What's going on? Can I help with anything? You don't need to say, is Tim crazy? What happened to him? You know, you don't need to know the details because that doesn't really matter. What matters is that they know they have the support of somebody. They talk about in mental illness, mental illness, health, that mental illness is not a casserole disease, meaning of you know so-and-so's daughter was diagnosed with diabetes or broke a leg or maybe diagnosed with cancer or a family member. People sign up in droves to bring you meals, to support you, to show you love, to put your name on a T-shirt and run a race for you. And when there's a family with mental illness, someone suffering from depression, you could hear a pin drop because you're not hearing from anybody. And I just want that to change. Mental illness and being sick in the head is not being different than being sick anywhere else in your body. It's just something that you're trying to work through, trying to deal with, and people need your help. So in that time frame, in that time period, if you see a family member going through something like that or a friend, reach out. They want that help. They want that acceptance, and they can't do it without you. I don't mean to get on a soapbox and say everybody is bad and nobody gives anybody help with mental illness or depression. That is not the case. 
things today in 2018 were better than they were in 1998 and 2001 and 2003 um, when I was dealing with it. There's a lot more um, light being shown down on the subject. So I just wanted you to say that ask for help. Ask how you can help people and approach them and to show them some love and show them some grace because they want that. They need that to feel that normal from things that they're going through. But back to my story, um, I was in the hospital for the second time. I was put on a new medication. I uh, was released probably a week or so later. Um, I came home. I was probably around for a month or so. Um, the medicine didn't work. I was again back to a dark, dark place again, the isolation, the fog of um, depression, and I I had done it again. I had felt so rock bottom, so hopeless, that I wrote out a long suicide note. And it's hard to talk about because you never think you never think you're going to get to a point in your life where it's so bad that you think killing yourself is the answer. That you think killing yourself will make things better. And I was to that place for the second time. And um, I remember... Leslie came home, and she found the note, and um, and she knew that I had to go back to the hospital again, and that there was nothing she could do to help me. And so, she called an ambulance, and um, she had to have a neighbor come over and take the kids away. So they wouldn't see their dad being carted off in an ambulance. And I couldn't imagine what that was like for her for this third time again, knowing, is this my normal? Will my husband ever come back from this? And I remember feeling the same thing. Would I ever come back from this? Was this my normal? And I was put back into the hospital for the third time. But I get to say now, it was the final time. The medicine that they put me on, after they had stripped me down off everything again, was my miracle drug. It was my miracle medicine for me. And I'm not saying that everybody who's going through this needs a pill. I'm not saying that at all. Everybody's different. Everyone reacts to things differently. And if you can do it without it, then God bless you, do it. But for me, it, it really helped me. So I was officially diagnosed with depression, anxiety, and bipolar disorder. That is the triple threat of complete and utter horrible self-esteem. And I had all three. And, but this time I was put on the right medication. And I tell you what, guys, a couple days in, it was like this. You hear me snap my fingers? It was like that in my head. The fog literally lifted and was gone. And I remember being in that psychiatric hospital and when that fog lifted, I looked around and I can remember this to this day. And I was like, Oh my God, I have got to get out of here. I don't belong here with these people. 
and not that it was anything wrong with the people. I had just seen that this wasn't a normal environment, you know, it wasn't a healthy environment. And I knew that I needed to get out. And I remember I had earned a telephone privilege because you have to ask for privileges to call my wife. And I called Leslie and I said, you have got to get me out of here. I, I don't know why I'm here. And you could hear in her, her voice like, I've been telling you this, like, is this the real Tim? You're in there still? And I've, I felt like I was free. And I was released for the final time. And I'm so excited like, to be able to tell you this because I remember that feeling. It was like winning the Super Bowl for me. And I got out and on this new medication, I got partnered with a, an amazing psychiatrist, a great doctor. And these things didn't happen overnight. I'm not saying like, hey, they gave me a pill, boom, my life was perfect. And um, no, it wasn't. But slowly after time, over time, I'm sorry, I was able to start to build back to the being that Tim that I was, not having to put anything off on the other Tim anymore, being my true authentic self and being healthy. And when I say healthy, I mean in my mind because my body was not healthy yet. Um, but it got to the point where I had hope again. I had an opportunity to feel strong and feel better about something and see a future for myself where before I didn't see it, where before I didn't have any hope, or before I was lonely, isolated in a dark place. But now I had that freedom on the other side now. I started to feel it a little bit. And so what you had to know about me at this point, I had gained so much weight. I was probably, at one point, I remember being weighed at 350 pounds. And um, it could have been more at some point. I do not know because at that point, dude, when you're over 300 pounds, you're not weighing yourself a lot because that is not really a self-esteem boost. So I was not doing that. But I wanted to get in shape. I wanted to get healthy because in my younger years, I was an athlete. I was very competitive like in anything. I mean, if it was like a race around the house to win a free hot dog or something, I was all in. I was going to win that hot dog. <laughs> I know it sounds absurd, but anything, a board game, sports, whatever, I was crazy competitive. So I had a fire with me before, and I wanted to try to ignite it again, but I didn't know where to start. So let me tell you where my unwritten life starts to come into play here. I was in a hotel room in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and I remember this like it's happening right now in front of me. Um, it was probably one in the morning or so, and my wife was asleep. My kids were asleep. And I was up late, like I always am, watching TV. I was probably drinking soda and eating snacks and garbage like I always did. And um, I'm flipping through the channels, and I come across this infomercial. And I'm watching it, and I was like, man, this is really weird. This is kind of interesting. What I see is I see this guy on the floor in this gymnasium with all these people working out like crazy. He's sweating his butt off. He's down on the ground. He's yelling at people, and he's yelling at the camera, and it's really intense. And I am just sucked in. Like, what is this? And it was an infomercial for a workout called Insanity by Sean T. And I'm watching this, and I'm thinking, this is crazy. And I just felt this, like, fire light inside of me. Like, oh, my gosh, I want to do this. And so I hopped out of bed right in that hotel room, went to our laptop, went on, ordered those DVDs from Insanity, and they were waiting for me when I got home. Um, 
I, I was I was on fire. I was lit on fire, and I was like, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna get in shape. I'm gonna be feeling good again. You know, because here I am mentally feeling good, and so that's working. And I just want to get my body back in shape. And so I remember putting the DVDs in. And what's good about these workouts is they always have the main guy who was Shanti with Insanity, but they also have someone else who does like modifications. And so I figured I'll just watch the modifications, you know, because dude, I am a big dude at this point, and there was no way I could do the workout normally. And I remember trying to do the modifications. I couldn't even do those. So I had to modify the modifier, and I probably even modified that a little bit. But I got through it. Was I dying? Absolutely. But was I winning? Absolutely. Because I was showing up for me. I was like, hey, you can do this. And even though I was struggling, because I had the fire, but I didn't have the ability of my body yet. And slowly but surely, I mean, again, this is not an overnight sensation type thing, talking weeks, I was able to build up strength and endurance, and I was losing some weight, and I was able to do the modifier now. So I'm thinking, I am big stuff now. I can do this modifier. I am doing some insanity, and I am looking good. And when I say looking good, meaning I lost 15 pounds. But that was a big gain for me at that point, you know, being so overweight. And as time ticked on, I did more and more of insanity. And guess what? Bye-bye to the modifications. I was able to do the real thing, which made me feel even better. And I started losing a lot of weight. I'm talking like 100 pounds, people. Dropped down to around 250. Then I probably even lost another 20 pounds. And then, like anybody's life, I started to do the yo-yo, where I backed off from insanity. I wasn't doing it the way I should have. And my weight started going up and down over the years. And then I had a knee injury, had to have surgery, and I gained a lot of weight back. But as, during that time frame, I went through a bunch of different stuff where I kind of got obsessed with like different things to help lose weight. You know, I got into hiking where all I did was hike, hike five to seven miles a day through any woods I could find. And, you know, I lost some weight through that. Then I got obsessed with like speed walking and doing that. I was going to walk a marathon. I was starting to do this progress, but that fizzled out because even though I had this drive to do this on my own, everything I was doing was alone, you know, and it was kind of lonely not having anybody else involved in it. And so it kind of tailed off again. And so getting closer to the end of my story, let me take you back to two years ago. I'll do that sound again. Two years ago. There we are. Okay. Here we are. Two years ago, it was my uh, 40th birthday party. My wife had thrown me an amazing surprise birthday party. Big shout out to you, Leslie. And um, I remember that night we had come home and we were looking at the pictures from the party. And my wife had a picture of myself and my best friend, Matt. So Matt, if you're listening, big shout out to you, my friend. Uh, Matt's been my best friend since we were young kids. He's still my best friend to this day. Really good guy. And But with Matt, what you need to know about Matt is he's always been in great shape. From high school on, he's always taken real good care of himself. He was very intentional about nutrition and uh, just doing the right things for his body. And so I remember being in a picture next to him. You know, he looked super healthy, and I just looked super unhealthy and almost unhappy. And I remember looking at that picture and feeling like I don't feel so good about myself. And that was like a red flag because I remember – being in real dark times and not feeling happy, and I didn't want that again. And so what I did, and this is not an infomercial for Beachbody or Insanity, just so we know. Let's just put that out there right now. But I'm just going to let you know this is part of my story, so I am telling it the way it happened. 
I got back to insanity. I did this workout called T25, and this was by Sean T again. These are 25-minute workouts, and it's a three-month program. You do all this different cardio and weight training and stuff, and I lost a good amount of weight. I gained strength, and I was feeling on fire. I was feeling so good. Um, I could see my body changing. I could feel myself feeling great mentally, and I was like, oh, I want more of this. Then I did another program called Insanity Max 30, and that's a two-month program. And during that, I really shedded down a lot of weight. I'm talking, guys, I got down to 175 pounds. And I felt so good. I felt alive. And I was like, I want this feeling for other people. If I can do this, anybody can do this. You know, like I was just an overweight fat guy battling depression in my basement. And here I am now doing these workouts and feeling good. So I remember talking to my wife. And um, my wife always been someone who would either green light a project for me and say, you're all in, or like, that is a bad idea. So everybody should have a Leslie who will do that for them. Good, bad, or ugly, she'll tell me the truth. And um, I remember telling her, like, I know. I have this good feeling. I want to help other people do this. I'm going to offer to come to other people's houses and work out with them, like, in their basement with a huge smile on my face. And she was like, no, that is the worst idea I've ever heard. Nobody wants you to show up at their house and offer to work out in their basement with them. It's kind of creepy. So I was dejected for like a second. I was like, yeah, you're right. Probably not a good idea. And so I found this opportunity through Beachbody, again, not a commercial, but to be an online health and fitness coach. And why I figured this is going to give me a platform to be able to share my story with people and if I can find someone else like me, even one person, and help them change their life a little bit and feel better about themselves, then it's a win. It's a win, win, win all day long. And so I did that for about a year. And, you know, you're on these online groups. And I got to meet so many great people. Um, I got to see so many people really um, take the time for themselves and take back their health and feel really good about themselves and really be able to show up for their family more when they were able to show up for themselves. and. By doing that, uh, I was sharing my story all the time. I was sharing my story about the depression and coming through it on the other side and sharing my story and trying to inspire people through their weight, uh, weight loss gain and their fitness journey and things like that. Um, but I got to a point where, you know, I just kind of wanted to be with real people. You know, um, these people were real. Don't get me wrong. They weren't imaginary, I promise. But you don't really interact with them face-to-face. -face. It's more of a virtual type thing and phone calls and things like that. Where I came across an opportunity to become an Insanity Live instructor. Meaning that I would be going to a training to be certified by a master trainer from Beachbody to train people and teach them Insanity Live. That is crazy, people. Um, first of all, I had never even taken a fitness class in my life ever so and you better believe I had never taught a fitness class in my life so being this is so far out of my comfort zone I had to like really think about it for a while and if you know me is when I have an idea I ponder it for a long time and I think about it and I bounce it back and forth you know, can I do this can I not do this should I not do it what if I fail what if I suck so forth and so on I'm sure people have these same conversations even if not, just tell me so I feel better that you do. Um, and I wanted to 
talk about it. So I remember being on a walk with my wife and our two dogs. And by the way, if you're a dog person, we have one dog who's a golden retriever named Mickey. And our baby of the house is our black pug, Carl. Um, and he is so cute, by the way. Anyhow, off topic. But I remember being on a long walk and we were talking and stuff. And I remember stopping her and looking at her and saying, listen, in what world do you see me being an insanity live instructor? Here's this opportunity where I can go get certified to train and teach people insanity at these classes. What do you think? And she said, you should absolutely do this. And I was like, really? You think I can do this? She said, absolutely. This is your thing. You have to do this. So fast forward to September 2016. I got certified to become an Insanity Live instructor, meaning that this guy who was over 350 pounds, battling severe depression, doing this workout in his basement by himself, now had an opportunity to go teach this to other people. Are you kidding me? I never thought in a million years I would teach insanity to other people. And this is being recorded in February of 2018. And I am happy to report that I have now almost taught 400 Insanity Live classes. I have the pleasure and the honor of working out with 100 plus different people a week. And it is such a special thing to see people achieve their dreams in 30-minute segments, to see them wake up and work out and show up for themselves and make all these different gains in their life. Um, and the opportunity to pour into people is the best feeling ever. Um, I then took on another certification to become a P90X instructor, and I get to teach those classes during the week as well. And it's just a true joy. It's a true joy to be able to um, go from a basement to a class to a studio and uh, really see people thrive. And it's not about me. It's about God giving me the gift. And it's not a gift if you don't give it away. And I want to give this gift away to as many people as possible. And that gift is hope. Hope, 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 people. And there is a lot of hope that people need these days. Um, people are so beat down and discouraged by things that happen anymore. And going through um, such depressions and things in their life that they're dealing with, um, with losses and things like that. And I mentioned earlier, God didn't put us on the earth just to suffer. We're not here just for the sake of suffering and giving up. We may suffer in life, and it may be so bad and so dark, but guess what? With God's grace, we can come through on the other side, people, on the other side. And with that coming through on the other side, we take away such a strong message from what we went through. And then we have that message, and we have that opportunity, and we have really a right to give that to other people, give that hope away. And let them know that you can come through this and you can share that and that there is hope for other people. So if you're out there today and you're going through a struggle, it's not over. It's not over at all. Matter of fact, it's just the beginning because your struggle will lead to success. Your struggle will lead to hope. Your struggle will lead to encouragement and optimism for others. And I really want you to know that. So if you're sitting in it right now, if you are up in that pain, if you are up in that struggle, it's going to be okay. I'm going to rewind it and say that again. It's going to be okay.
one of my favorite quotes is, and we have this on a magnet upstairs on our refrigerator, is that everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay right now, then guess what? It's not the end. And I want you guys to remember that. If it's not okay, then it's not the end. You have a story to tell. Your life has a story to tell. And I want you to know that there's hope to tell that story and that you have value. You have value. Even though sometimes it's hard, that life is hard sometimes. And you know what? And it's funny. I get to talk about these things in my fitness classes all the time. And, I, you know, something I say to people is that ordinary people can do extraordinary things with their body. Meaning that if ordinary guy like me can do this and come through it on their side, that you can. And let me say it like this. Ordinary people can do extraordinary things with their lives, not just with their body. And I want you to know that you have that. And I want you to try to live your best life and encourage people. And when other people see you living your best life, guess what? They want to live their best life too. And they want to know how you did it. So share your story. Your story is such an inspiration to other people. Guys, we've come to the end of our first episode here. Um, I thank you so much for listening and being a part of my story here today. And, and I, I hope that you find some encouragement from it. I hope that you can see that you can go through some dark times and with grace, you can come through it on the other side with such freedom and such glory. And if you think you've been through it and you have a story to tell, or there's somebody in your life where you're like, these people really inspire me. They've gone through it on the other side. I would love to connect with them. I would love to hear their story and have them on this podcast to tell their story and offer that hope for other people. Guys, we have such an amazing first season of the Unwritten Life podcast coming up. Amazing people are coming your way. And we're going to share these things on social media and blast it out. But I need your help. And it doesn't mean anything if we have this great podcast and amazing people on here telling their stories. I need your help to share it. So again, like I said at the beginning, if you could go to iTunes, leave a review, um, share it on social media, and subscribe and download it every week. That would mean the world to me, and that would be the greatest compliment ever is just sharing it in word of mouth about this podcast and this project. So, you guys, we've come to the end of the episode, but not to the end of your life. Remember, you matter, you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.